comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hey everybody, welcome to The Long Box of Doom, episode 249, where we will be discussing Infinity, issue number two from Marvel Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman. I'm Jordan from Jersey, a.k.a. Dr. Esquire. I am joined tonight by Mr. Russ Latham. How you doing tonight, Russ? I'm good. Birthday boy? Uh, yes, I'm 26 today, so just a little bit more dead. Woohoo! You're catching up. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll meet you in the end someday. That's weird. I don't know where I was going with it. Uh, I don't know where it went, but yes, I'm old, you're old, no offense, we're all getting older. Uh, just some of us faster than others, except that's not even true. So instead, let's talk comic books. Probably a better topic than uh, temporal mechanics. Yeah, or mortality, or any anything like that, but yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's my birthday, woohoo. Not even an exciting one, 26. You know, you know what happens when you turn 26? Um, You're... A year ago, you could start to rent a car. Yeah, and at 26, you get dropped from your parents' insurance, so it's oh, really exciting. Right. Yeah, this is the, the first, like, birthday with a negative, like an ah. official negative. Anyway, so last issue, last episode, we discussed the last issue of Infinity. I was joined by Jim, who can't make it tonight, um, and we were going to do something else, but a lot of people couldn't make it tonight, so Russ and I said, or Russ suggested, why don't we talk Infinity issue number two, and I said, I will never turn down a chance to talk about Jonathan Hickman's work, and so that's what we're going to do. But Russ, you weren't here for part one, so what have you read so far in terms of Infinity and the build-up in Avengers and New Avengers and really Hickman's Fantastic Four and Secret Warriors and S.H.I.E.L.D. and anything else he's ever written? Um, how much of it have you been reading? Um, what did you like about it? What did you not like about it? Or are you just coming to this fresh? I've read nothing. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I've um, read nothing. I know nothing. Nothing. I nothing. No, I am, as we've talked about on the show before, I am, I am pretty close to, you know, especially you and Jim. I know you and Jim are huge, huge Hickman fans. Um, I'm, I'm pretty close to that. Uh, but I will give the caveat that you both have read much more Hickman, especially Marvel Hickman, than I have. I have read at the Fantastic Four run. I really enjoyed it. Um, I pre-ordered the Omnibus, at least the first Omnibus, so I'll be looking forward to reading that. I have the Secret Warriors Omnibus sitting on my shelf that I have not read yet. That I'm, I don't know why I haven't read it yet. But For I'm, I'm shame, waiting. sir. It is excellent. I know. But as far as Avengers and New Avengers go... Um, I've been reading them both since day one, and they both just grabbed me big time. I'm a huge fan of the Avengers going way back. I mean, I think the Roger Stern run, some people like bits bits and pieces of it. I, I loved the Roger Stern run on uh, Avengers back in the 80s, and uh, I've read it off and on. Some of the Bendis stuff was really good. Some of it just got to the point where it was like, 
yeah, Bendis has been writing Avengers for a long time. Uh, maybe somebody else should do that. <laughs> and and he was writing a lot of them, you know, you know, three or four, you know, books at a time. So with Hickman doing it, I'm I am really enjoying it. I haven't I haven't enjoyed reading the Avengers month to month like this in a very long time. And Hickman's Avengers, and, and when I say Avengers, I mean Avengers and New Avengers and and Infinity for that matter, is very much different than any other take on the Avengers ever, I think. This is very high concept. This is very, I'll say adult Avengers, and I don't mean that as far as, um, a, you know, what we traditionally think of as adult themes, like, you know, language or, or you know, nudity or, or you know, uh, you know, sexual situations. You know, not, none of that kind of thing. That's not what I mean by adult. I just mean it's very heady. Um, there's a lot of high concept ideas. Uh, there's in, no in, real hand-holding. Yeah, exactly. But on the flip side, the the good thing about that is you don't really need to know all that other stuff. You know, if you've never read event, you didn't read Bendis's Avengers, you didn't read, you know, the Stern stuff, you didn't read, you know, even like the Busiek Perez stuff. You know, if you haven't read any of that, it's like, not an like Im- I haven't. Yeah, yeah, it's not an impediment to reading this at all. I mean, even if you haven't read Hickman's other stuff, you know, if you if you haven't read his his either Shield or or Fantastic Four or Secret Warriors, and I know that there are some characters that that come into play from those runs, but it's it's not really that big of a deal. He's really starting fresh. He's really trying to start with a new concept. You know, things aren't necessarily told extremely linearly, which you know is is kind of a Hickman thing, uh, you know, for the most part too. And it it's just it's just like it's very high adventure, high concept, and I'm I'm loving it. I mean, I I, I don't know that I would give this to an eight or nine year old to read just just because I think they would probably find it boring and maybe a little hard to grasp. But if you know any kind of early to mid teenager on up, um, I, there's there's just a Except lot maybe to Brad like. Milo. Yeah, maybe Brad. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Brad. Um, yes. Uh, but it, it but it's really good stuff, and it's funny because as Avengers and New Avengers were coming out biweekly in some cases or monthly, uh, in other cases, I was reading them as they came out. And in the lead up to Infinity, I've re- I've gone back through and and started to reread uh, Avengers from number one, and I'm I'm, uh, and it's funny even in the lead up to Infinity, I went back and started with issue sixteen and like read actually fifteen. I reread fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen in the lead up to Infinity twice. And so now I'm I'm going through the full thing again, and so some of those issues at this point I'll have read like three times, and then it, you know right when I'm done with that I'm going to start over with New Avengers, uh, because again that was a book, and we talked about this before that number one just really just whacked you over the head with its awesomeness, and I I think I think overall I like New Avengers better because I think it's telling a, a more interesting uh, and a, a more complex story. But I really like Avengers, and they're bringing things back like Captain Universe, and they're bringing in Hyperion from from the uh, All Star Squadron and the Star Brand and the Night Mask, all that new the White Event, all that New Universe stuff, which I was a huge fan of when I was a kid first starting reading comics. When all that New Universe stuff came in, uh, I actually read quite a bit of it, and I I didn't think it was as bad as everybody else did. But again, I haven't really touched a lot of it, and you know, almost 30 years now. But just the fact that Hickman is able to bring that in and, and do something unique with it and fold those characters into the main Avengers uh, is is pretty good. So I'm I'm way on board. I, I thought Infinity number one was a good start. It really feels like an, an extension of 
what he was doing already. It almost seems like maybe what we saw even with Fantastic Four with the you know the quote unquote death of Johnny Storm that maybe it was Marvel pushing it to become an event when it really wasn't. Like if they would have just folded this into alternating chapters of Avengers and New Avengers, it seemed like it would be very natural. And they're pulling this out into its own six issue mini, which which is fine. I think I think the other books complement what's going on in Infinity. I think I'm a little too close to it to say that you could read it without reading the others. I, th- I think you're you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not reading Avengers and New Avengers and just reading Infinity. And given that it's not one of those crossovers that's affecting like a thousand books, uh, you really, if you read Infinity and then Avengers and New Avengers, I think you're really getting a very uh, expansive, well-told story. Yeah, uh, well, there's now <laughs> about eight things I can jump off of with that. The first one I'll go to, um, whether this was planned as an event or not. From what I understand, and I could be wrong on this, but I've read a bunch of interviews, and this is the general impression I have, this was supposed to be an Avengers, New Avengers thing, but it was just the builders. And then Marvel came in and said, hey, we want to work in Thanos, Thanos is big, we've got some plans for Thanos. What would happen, Jonathan, if we took your story of the Avengers leaving Earth to go fight the builders, and then while they're away, we had Thanos come attack? And he went, oh, that's awesome. I can work it in this way and that way. It wasn't like it was forced on him. It was more like the spark was just kind of passed to him. And he went, I've got a great idea for this. And he ran with it. And then they they turned it into events. So kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. But I I think it's worked out well either way. I mean, I'm I'm not somebody who balks immediately at the the term uh, editorial interference. That's not necessarily a bad thing in my book. Sometimes it can lead to really cool ideas like this one. Um, As for... What was the other thing you said? What? Oh, as for whether or not you can read just Infinity, I mean, I'm kind of a little bit too close to it like you are as well. I kind of feel, though, I, I've tried to look at the, them objectively and just read, like, Infinity number one through and see, like, if I hadn't read anything else, would I be able to follow it? I think you can definitely follow it. And I, I was reading an article the other day. I don't, I don't remember who was being interviewed or quoted, rather, but... It was a television producer, like like a like a TV showrunner from a complicated show. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Boardwalk Empire. I don't think it was Breaking Bad, but one of those types of shows. And basically, the the showwriter showrunner was asked, you know, do you why don't you explain things more? Why don't you do more setup in terms of hey, remember four episodes ago? That's what this character is referencing now. And the guy or girl, whoever it was, made a good point in saying, we live now in an age of the internet where if you are doing that kind of thing or doing it too much, you are wasting space because everybody, you know, Wikipedia is so accessible and all these other things are so accessible that you don't need to explain like in in this situation, because like I'm saying, it doesn't matter who I'm quoting. It's just the idea that I think is more interesting. You know, if you go to Wikipedia you can look up the weight event and find out what that is. I've never read a new universe book. I wasn't alive when they were published, the, the original ones. Um, but I feel like I understand it now, and I understand it totally enough to understand what Hickman's doing with it because I read a couple Wikipedia articles and a couple interviews and a couple, uh, you know, just general articles about what the new universe was. And in in this very technological, you know, constantly connected world we live in, I kind of feel like a, a, a series like Infinity, like they're doing it, works in a way that it could never have done 10 years ago or 15 years ago just because of those things. And, but even with that, 
or even without it, rather, I, I feel like with the recap pages they're doing, there's enough in there that if you were just reading Infinity, you would have enough to follow it. To fully get everything out of it? No, absolutely not. You know, to, to see the big battle between the Builders and, and the Avengers in, you know, Avengers 18, you've got to read Avengers 18. You get a panel of it in Infinity number 2, but if you want to see the whole thing, yeah, Avengers 18. But you get the gist, you understand what happened it's not the focus of Infinity Number 2. So, at least as it is now, I think you can definitely just follow it just with the book. But you shouldn't. <laughs> I, I'm in your camp on that one. You yeah. can. There's really no reason to, aside from, hey, you know, the economy sucks and money's tight. And, you know, buying more books is not something everybody can do. I totally get that. But if you can, you should be. It's it's not egregious, you know. I think Marvel, probably more so than DC and in the past several years has been pretty egregious with these events and crossing them into everything under the sun. And for this to be pretty tight and be all written by Jonathan Hickman um, and, and with teams on the art that are pretty complimentary overall, you're not going to, you know, go from one book to the next to the next and just feel like you're reading. It, it doesn't feel like three different series. It really does feel tight right. uh, between the three books. And, and, you know, I was talking with the owner of my LCS the other day when I went in to pick up my books, and having to read Avengers or getting a lot more out of it by reading Avengers is nothing new when you're talking about a crossover. I mean, the specific example I chose was, um, you know, Secret Invasion. I only read the main title of Secret Invasion and a couple maybe like Secret Invasion Spider-Man or a couple other little tie-ins books I was already buying. Avengers was not one of them. And all of a sudden, hey, spoilers for Secret Avengers, people, uh, Secret Invasion, rather. At the end of Secret Invasion, I've just been reading the story for seven or eight issues, whatever it was, and all of a sudden, Norman Osborn shows up out of nowhere and kills the Skrull Queen. And just reading Secret Invasion, I don't remember any setup of that. I don't even know if I recognized who it was until he said his name in the book. It was just kind of a, oh, so I guess that's what's happening. I mean, but I, I feel like Infinity, at least so far, and granted we're only two issues in, I think it's doing a much better job to be like, hey, this is this person, this person's important, here's a character roster on the first page, it's 50 headshots, but they're all going to be in this book. They might not do something important, but if you don't know who they are, here's their picture, here's their name, if you want more information, Google it, it's 2013. Yeah, and that's a real good point, and again, if you've listened to any of our other shows where we talked about Hickman, especially his his design aesthetic, I mean... He he is an artist himself. He puts a lot of attention on graphic design. I mean, we've we've interviewed him in the past, and he's he said as much. Um, and so everything his books, whether they're Image or Marvel or what have you, have kind of a, a consistent look and feel to them. Uh, and having this cast page is to me is awesome because it, you know you know who's going to be a part of the story, like you said, and and it kind of gives you a chance to to kind of put yourself in the right frame of mind for, you know, what, what is going to be important in this book. And then the, to me, the big thing is the, is the previously in page where, you know, right after the, the title page, we get the, the previously in and it hits, you know, all the big beats of what's come before that's relevant to the story, which I appreciate a lot. I mean, I just, I think Marvel's done this bef for a while now where they have the recap page but this just feels very much like television. This it feels like you're reading um, a comic book in the in the vein of like Lost, you know, where or you know any any of those kind of genre shows, a Fringe or or anything like that, where it's you know previously on Fringe or previously on Lost, and you kind of get this you know one page, you know six eight nine 
panel, you know, synopsis of of what what's going on before that's relevant to this particular issue. And and so far, it's working really well. I did find interesting in Infinity Number Two, in their previously in section. I think this is the first one they've done where the panels weren't monochromed, or at least partially monochromed. These are full color, whereas previously it might be a uh, blue tinge or a red tinge to give you kind of that flashback feel. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the decision was to not do that this way. It doesn't bother me. I just thought it was interesting that it was different. So let's talk, before we get to Infinity number 2, uh, Avengers 18 and New Avengers number 9. Uh, Avengers 18 came out first. And uh, this issue kind of was a spotlight on the scrolls for a, for a large section, which was surprising. Yeah. Uh, and, and looking at it, the previously in, it's also not tinted a certain color. So maybe that's just my imagination that Infinity Number 2 is the first one. Well, and this is pretty fitting that it's a scroll issue because the art's done by Lionel Yu, who was the lead artist on Secret Invasion, which was another very scroll uh, centric story. So I, 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 I'm, I'm guessing that was probably somewhat uh, purposeful when they did that, but I, I like that continuity. Yeah. Now this issue also shows us a lot of the Galactic Council, uh, the current incarnation of that. Have you been reading Bendis's Guardians of the Galaxy? Because that's kind of have. where all the foundations for this are. Okay. As yeah. have I. And I think Hickman's using them in a very consistent way with uh, how Bendis is using them. It feels yeah, yeah. right, you know. They they're not that they have a super huge part to play at this point. I mean, they they have a huge part to play, but not a lot to say. Um, so, but I think it's consistent. No, I agree. Yeah, and it's awesome to see Gladiator back in his black costume. Yes, that he wore. Was that War of Kings or Reign of Kings where he first put that on? War of Kings. And uh, for me, like, I get why people like his classic costume. It's the whole Superman or Superboy Legion of Superheroes thing. I get it. That said, the almost completely black costume, it just looks awesome on him. I, I will say, I am typically not a huge fan of when they decide to just make redesign costumes with black. Uh, a few exceptions. I think Spider-Man is the most obvious exception to that rule that I thought was was bold and worked very well. And uh, Gladiator, I think, is another exception. And I think what does it for Gladiator is that glowing... Uh, the symbol on his chest, the fact that it's glowing like that, uh, to me, just just really sets it off nice. Uh, so yeah, I am I am a fan of that as well. Yeah, that that the design part of it, which really does stick out, but also, I mean, sort of like the Spider Man one, although maybe to a larger extent than than Spider Man when he went to the black costume. You know, there was when it was originally introduced a thematic reason for it. It was a morning gown, if you will. It was. You know, it was a sign of his grief and of the the graveness of his, graveness of his new position as Magister and, and the assassination of Lalandra. So it worked on a story yeah. level. It worked on a design level. And I'm happy to see it back here as he as they face uh, another possible <laughs> disaster and calamity. Yes. And I tell you what, Lionel Yu is one of those guys where I liked his early stuff. Uh, it was a little more traditional and then he kind of got through a phase, like maybe right before Secret Invasion, where it got a little looser, maybe too loose for me. And then like Secret Invasion, it started to kind of bring it back. And everything he's done since Secret Invasion, I have I, he has completely turned me around um, as as an artist. I I am I really really am enjoying 
his his artwork. It's just it's just it may, maybe like with this Avengers, maybe it's the inker, um, Gary Allen Gulian. I guess is the easy for you to say. Yeah, exactly. And then Sunny Go on the art or on the colors, but it's just really, I don't know. It's just a great, uh, just all three of those folks working together just really makes this book shine. I just, I'm really impressed with, with the art in this. And the color is really important for me when it comes to you, because I would say I'm more hit than miss with him, but when it doesn't hit for me, it's usually because of the colors. I think he doesn't come across for me again. This is just my opinion, but his art doesn't come across as well for me when he's being given a, a a more muted color palette. He needs strong colors. And when you have a lot of pales and tans, it just kind of, it doesn't work for me for whatever reason, but here you've got the greens and the purples of the scrolls and, you know, bright supernovas and, and the, the nebulas of space. And when you have those colors to really make his artwork pop, I love it. No, agreed. So the scrolls, their homeworld has been pretty much destroyed. Well, it was destroyed back after secret invasion, I believe, right? Or before that before. Yeah. <laughs> that was the whole point. Yeah. But, so now they've splintered into after secret invasion, kind of five, war groups with warlords and such and if you read uh, Infinite Infinite Comic Infinity or Infinity Infinite Comic uh, Against the Tide I think it was called which was released with issue one um, that was the Silver Surfer going to Clern or Clert one of their five remaining homeworlds as it was destroyed by the builders and this is kind of dealing with the aftermath of that so the scrolls come to the Galactic Council and say yeah, we get it. We're kind of all screwed if we don't work together. The five warring tribes of the scrolls, we've come together. And since we can work together, we think you should be willing to work with us, which is kind of a big deal. And uh, the Galactic Council eventually agrees. I-, I liked the scenes of the Avengers in the Galactic Council where they're pretty much just spectators. They they get there. And even though this is like the most powerful Avengers team ever, probably in the history of the comics with Hyperion and Captain Universe and such. They're just sitting there on the sidelines as the real, uh, you know, powerhouses of the Marvel Universe sit there and decide the fate of everybody. And they even pointed out of, you know, like, we're basically kids watching, you know, you know, a softball team who went on a uh, on a field trip to see a Major League Baseball game. Like, this is how the the big boys really play. (laughs) Yeah, the only criticism and I'll use this word very, very lightly that I have is his portrayal of Sam Guthrie. He's a little too um, frat boyish for me. Um, Sam Guthrie's always kind of been a bit of a, you know, they always call him Hayseed in the in the New Mutants and then you know in the X Men books. And he was very straight laced, very uh, responsible, you know, kind of kind of guy. Um, now Sunspot has always been a goofball and um, you know a cut up. So that. That part doesn't bother me, but they're kind of dumbing down uh, Cannonball a little too much for me. But it does make for kind of cool comic relief because they kind of, you know, kind of bro it up a little bit between the two of them, which at times can be kind of funny. Uh, So I kind of let it slide. But but that's like the only thing that I've really come across that I that makes me just uh, wince a little bit with Hickman is is his characterization of uh, Sam Guthrie. You know, it's been so long since I've read anything with Sam Guthrie in it, and it, I mean, pretty much it's been so long since anybody's read anything with him, and I can't think of the last book he was a major player in before this. It's been a while, but um, I, I kind of just took it as more Bobby kind of rubbing off on him, you know, be wary of the company you keep type deal, 
put it yeah, this way, it's yeah. because you may become a bro. <laughs> um, and, and like you said, it's funny enough. It doesn't bother me. And maybe, too, I think maybe Hickman's just trying to say, look, Sam has no leadership responsibility with this team, so he could kind and he's not, he's, they came to him, like, you know, his deal was, he was the, pretty much the de facto leader of the New Mutants, it was either him and Danny Moonstar, you know, for the most part, so he kind of had that burden on his shoulders, he always wanted to go up to the big leagues and be part of the X-Men, when he was finally there, he felt like he had something to prove, and based on the way that that last New Mutants series kind of ended, and we see them at the beginning of Avengers, I think he kind of sees it as, they're coming to me, I was happy with just kind of chilling and not really doing very much, so I don't have anything to prove for this team, and I don't really have any, you know, I don't have any axe to grind or chip on my shoulder, I can just kind of be me. So maybe, the, you know, it's just too, we're kind of seeing this character be this character for the first time in a very, very long time. That's possible as well. So they come up with this plan that basically, hey, there's this big battle. I'm assuming it's a previously existing Marvel Universe battle that I just don't remember. But uh, where we had it in a place right by a black hole, and that was kind of the deciding factor of that battle. Why don't we ambush the builders there? We will basically force them into the black hole and lose some of our fleet in the process, but it'll at least destroy them and save the galaxy. So they decide to do that. The Avengers jump into their not Quinn jets, but the uh, like the Quinn shuttles or whatever they're called. Quinn, I think they're actually calling these Quinn carriers. Quinn carriers, okay. And uh, they they suit up in kind of cool techno space armor. It looks cool for the issue. I don't know if I'd want to see them in this all the time, but for an issue or two, it looks neat. And the helmets uh, are horrible. <laughs> they're very busy. Um, they they jump into space. They go to fight the builders. Things are looking good when all of a sudden. The rest of the Builder fleet uncloaks, and you realize that it wasn't the Avengers and the Galactic Council doing the ambushing. They were being ambushed. Some of the Avengers and some of the fleets get away, but about a third of the team, their Quinn carrier is, is blown up, and they are uh, not left for dead. I mean, it's not really like the, anybody else had a choice, but they are left behind on the battlefield with the Builders as they fall towards a black hole, and that's Avengers 18. And it was pretty awesome that the way they got out of there was like Eden trying to teleport the whole, like their their ship and all the ships near it. Like he was trying to create this massive, um, you know, teleportation gate to to get them out of there. I love manifold. <laughs> yes. Um, and you it, haven't read is, Secret Warriors yet, right? You just no, no. That's where he's introduced, and uh, right. That's I mean, not to say that he does hasn't done cool stuff in Avengers because he certainly has, and he's made a, he's got a lot of good lines and a lot of cool moments. But I came into this loving him because of Secret Warriors, and uh, the man has multiple awesome diaper jokes. Uh, I'll leave it at that. But yeah. he's a great character. That's awesome. And connected to Gateway, and you're an X Men guy, so uh, oh, awesome. you should appreciate that. Now, one of the things with this whole black hole thing. I wasn't sure, was this the remnants of the Cancerverse? I don't think it was the Cancerverse. Like uh, that rift or whatever? Maybe not. I, I They did I give was, it a specific name, like it was where we had this battle. Okay, so the, I believe this is the Kree Supreme Intelligence saying, the multitude is screaming the Kondar encounter, a Kree-Shiar conflict. Hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, Gladiator was there, they refer to it as the Battle of the Corridor. I'm sure there are Marvel fans. E either this is something created totally for this, or there are old school Marvel fans yelling at their iPods right now. 
But either way, uh, it works in the story, whether you know what it's referring to or not. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read even like Operation Galactic Storm. I wonder if this is like remnants of the Negabomb or something like that. Could be, but I, I do not believe it's part of uh, the Cancerverse and uh, the Thanos Imperative, which is another awesome Thanos story for anyone who hasn't read it. Yes. Now, one of the things I think it's cool is, and again, I think this goes back to Hickman's design sense, is all of these books have a very similar trade dress. Monochromatic covers, uh, the Infinity logo clearly represented atop above the actual title of the of the book itself, uh, and then the characters that play a role in this book prominently displayed, uh, you know, kind of side by side. And then the the covers, all the books that tie into issue number one are blue, including Infinity number one itself. Uh, the second is red. I forget what the third one is, but basically all six issues take their color from the colors of the six Infinity Gems. And all of their tie-ins do as well, to give it a, a very uh, clear uh, tie-in to the word Infinity and to what Thanos is up to. Which, Thanos did not appear at all in Avengers 18, but he appears big time in New Avengers number 9, where we go to the Earth-bound side of the battle and pick up with some of the uh, some of the remnants, uh, story remnants and the story loose ends from Infinity number 1, where we had the Outrider going into Black Bolt's dreams, Black Bolt rips off his arm, but he escapes back to Thanos, etc. And in issue number 9 of New Avengers, uh, the Black Order... Uh, whose names are, so I can get them correct here because they're very cool, Corvus Glaive, who's awesome, Supergiant, Ebony Maw, Black Dwarf, and Proxima Midnight. They are taking his head, basically, and kind of Fringe-style, or X-File-style or something, projecting his memories so Galactus can see them. And Galactus is given the information. Uh, apparently it happened once before off-panel, but here for the second time, that uh, five of the six Infinity Gems are destroyed, and one is missing. But Thanos is not deterred, because with the power of just one of the gems, you become like a god, and he's had that power before, and he wants it again. Interestingly enough, though, I, f I found, you know, he, he wants two things, right? He wants whatever gems are left, but he also wants this tribute, which we'll get into with issue number two. He sends... Now, we understand more of this after reading issue two, of course, but my thought before reading that was... How interesting is it that he sends his generals after this one gem, and he himself wants to go get the tribute? Yeah. And of course, now, after reading issue two, we know why that is. But before that, I was like, that's very strange. Yes. And I like this whole concept that they're pushing with the Infinity Gems, where he's seeing the six wielders of the gems, you know, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Reed Richards, Iron Man, uh, Namor, and beast and every time they show them holding the gems they show them uh dead like you just see them uh as skeletons right well once the gems are destroyed right when, the, when they're whole they're fine but when the, when they are destroyed they are skeletons and and you know that's been kind of a, an ongoing theme in avengers and new avengers is avengers is life and new avengers is death uh, Captain America is life, Tony Stark is death. What exactly that means, we don't know yet, but thematically it has been clearly set up that that are that they are kind of the avatars of those two opposites right now. Right, right. And we know how Thanos and, feels about death. Yes. And Mike Diodato on the art is, again, the, the art on this is, all these books are just top-notch. I mean, Mike Diodato on the art and Frank Martin on the covers, on the colors, rather, um, just, just very, very well done. And again, similar enough style. This isn't very 
I, I wouldn't call, you know, none of these artists have a cartoony style. There, there's no uh, Mark Allreds in the bunch or something. Not that that would be yeah. bad. I love Mike Allred, but it would be, feel strange here. Right, or even like a Nick Bradshaw or, uh, you know, anybody that has a real clean style. That's not, you know, that's not what um, what these books have. And I think, again, it just helps unify uh, everything. It, it's almost like everybody's kind of adjusting their style to, to kind of um, blend it a little better. Um, and it just, like I said, it just, it just really helps with the, the cohesiveness of all these stories, but it's, it's just, again, top-notch writing, top-notch art. I mean, Marvel is definitely pulling out all the stops with this event to just amp up the quality in, in my opinion. Right. So while the Avengers are off in space dealing with a giant invasion that's oncoming, another invasion happens spontaneously on earth with Thanos's crew. Uh, Reed Richards and Tony Stark are able to defend pretty much the majority of the Isle of Manhattan from a Stark Tower and Avengers Tower using some very giant guns. Meanwhile, Black Dwarf goes to Wakanda and uh, gets his ass handed to him by Black Panther and Black Panther. The next Simon and Simon show on ABC. Uh, which was kind of awesome to see. I mean, it's it's cool. You get a bunch of different fronts, particularly in this issue. But it's cool to see that it's not like, we're losing on all fronts. No, in some places, we're being very successful, like Wakanda and New York. And what's awesome about this, too, is if this was Bendis, not to bag on Bendis, this would have been like three issues to tell the story of all these places getting invaded and the fight back. The fact that in one issue, all of this stuff is going on and we're just getting the we're getting the bits that we need to know, you know, he, right. he's being very economic in his storytelling. And to me, that's what I love. You feel like it's, it's a frantic pace that all this stuff is going on, that things are happening, that the story is moving. Nothing is dragging um, at all, which again, I think is a very stark contrast to Hickman's storytelling style versus uh, Bendis's style. So black dwarf, like I said, he, uh, he loses pretty handily in, uh, in Wakanda, because they were all prepared for war with Atlantis, which we saw in, I believe, issue 8, kind of 7 and 8. But, uh, and because of that, Atlantis has been reduced to rubble, and it seems that right after Namor got there last issue, Proxima Midnight shows up. So she gets there expecting to wage a war against, uh, against Atlantis. The war's already been lost by Atlantis, so she just pretty much has to show up and uh, force Namor to give her what she wants. What do you think of her design? Is it too Kirby-esque for you? Or I, I, To me, it feels... I, I like it, but it feels so different from the other members of the, the, you know, the Black Order that I don't know if it works. Like, on its own, maybe, but here it just feels a little bit too much. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I noticed is she's the most disjointed from the others. The others are very rough a lot of hard edges uh a lot of uh like i said just rough and she's pretty smooth i mean other than the the big headdress which definitely is very kirby-esque uh she definitely seems the most out of place among among the five so i I can't say that i I, you know it, it it puts me off but it it's definitely something i noticed meanwhile the ebony maul or grand moff tarkin if he was an alien Goes to Doctor Strange, and uh, Doctor Strange is in kind of a magical trance thing, trying to hold off enemies and hide something. 
But the Ebony Maw is a wordsmith, and he's kind of infecting his thoughts, and I don't know if I'd say controlling him yet, but he's getting in there, and from issue number two, it seems that he has gotten whatever he wanted. We don't know exactly what that is, but he, he's getting the information he needs from Stephen Strange. Right. I love his design, by the way. Like I said, very Grand Moff Tarkin, very Peter Cushing, but just yes. kind of this... Doug Jones-ish. Do you, do you know what I mean if I call him yes. Doug Jones? Yes. And for anybody who doesn't, he was uh, Abe Sapien, uh, the, the the actor who portrayed, uh, the, the physical actor who played uh, Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. He was one of the guys in the Buffy episode Hush. Uh, I forget what they were yes. called. The Silence. The Silence is Doctor Who. But you've seen him in more things than you realize. He's very often in makeup and in costume, but he has very expressive fingers. I think he has mime training, and he just can really get across a lot of action and emotion simply by the way he moves his fingers in a very deliberate way, and I get kind of the same feeling from Ebony Maw. Yeah, yeah, very much so. We also have Corvus Glaive and Super Giants, who I did not realize was a woman until, like, Almost the end of her scene. <laughs> After they had already referred to her as one. I thought it was a misprint at first. But uh, taking down the Jean Grey school. Yeah, handily. Which I was not expecting to see even this much X-Men in the book. But not that it bothers me. But it was just a little different because we have not seen them pretty much at all. Aside from Beast in uh, right. Avengers. Yeah, I'm, I'm likewise. I was not expecting to see... It was probably one of the most extended fights that we got in this book. Yeah. Was, uh, you know, Beast Armor and Wolverine and uh, Rachel and Storm. And, and uh, Wolverine Man. gets impaled by Corvus Glaive, who is an awesome design, awesome name, as we'll see in issue two of Infinity. Just an awesome, evil, evil character. Yes. And by the end of the issue, uh, Proxima Midnight gets from. Gets from uh, Namor the location of the lost Infinity Gem, which he tells her is Wakanda. Although technically, I think he's lying to her. He just wants Wakanda destroyed because I don't think anybody knows where the gem is unless he's been keeping it secret this whole time. And then to actually end the issue, unlike what I said, uh, the actual end of the issue is uh, Black Bolt and Maximus calling the new Avengers to Adelan to discuss what they will do next. And Maximus seems to be having a ton of fun with this. Yes. Maximus is one of those characters. When he's written well, he's awesome. Just crazy, but a genius and funny. And when he's written poorly, he's still kind of entertaining. But I gotta say, I, I love when he's written this well. And Atlanta yeah, he, did it, Hickman does it, you know. Yes. I was gonna say War Kings, he had he had a huge part in War Kings. And then we get a nice little character bio page for the Cole Obsidian, the Black Order, with uh, the powers and information for all these characters, which is very nice, because it was a little vague before this, which is just yeah. kind of modern comics in general. Oh, that character has that power? I guess they do now. But here we have a full list. Here's what their powers and weaknesses are. Here, here's their deal. And it's a nice little moment in the issue. And then this past Wednesday, we had Infinity... Numero dos. And let's talk about the cover first. I made this comment to you off the air, but I would like to reiterate it because even taking aside that this is a event comic, this is one of the ugliest comic book covers I've seen in some time. 
And for me, what really sets it apart to not make it work is the inking. I think the inking is too dark. It makes it muddy. It makes it... I mean, it's clear what's happening, but Cap's face is just muddy and it's hard to see, and not in a dark foreboding way, in a this-was-not-a-very-well-done cover way. I, again, I like the idea of the Infinity Gem-themed covers and using the colors for them, but maybe Cap was the wrong choice for this. Maybe they just needed a inker with a lighter touch. I don't know. Maybe they just needed a different pose, but it just looks awkward and muddy to me. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, the the other covers have been to me pretty spot on. So this one kind of missed the mark. And, and I, I, uh, like you said, I think cap was maybe the wrong choice to have a very red themed color. Um, I, I think he would have been more suiting for like a blue or even, um, you know, something lighter, but, but yeah, for him to be on the red like that with, there's just, there's too much red, too much red. That's, that's stark and, and bright. Like if this, if this was a little more muted, um, it may have worked better, but, uh, and it's, it's odd because Adam Kubert's a, you know, a pretty good draftsman. It looks like he inked himself. So maybe that's, uh, what the, what the issue is. Sometimes when you have somebody else inking your stuff, they, they tend to, rein it in a little bit sometimes. And it's also kind of a strange request for a cover. It's not too often you have to do a monochromatic cover like that. And it right. may have just been that, you know, he doesn't have a lot of practice in this and wrong calls are made and maybe everybody else loves this cover and we're two oddballs. I don't know, but I, I thought it was ugly. That said, the issue was kind of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's not a big deal. It's going to sell a lot of copies regardless of what the cover is. Yeah. And Laura Martin's a very capable colorist, so... You know, you know. Again, I think this was a case of maybe design trumping the, you know, the actual quality of the folks involved in it. Very possibly. So the issue actually begins a little bit before New Avengers number nine, where we have Sword basically being infiltrated, and we had seen in issue number one of Infinity that there was at least one turncoat there. It seems there's two or three. And they've taken over one of the S.W.O.R.D. early warning stations. S.W.O.R.D. is basically S.H.I.E.L.D., but for space-related things, for anybody who doesn't know. They are handily taken down by uh, Abigail Brand and another agent who I'm not super familiar with. I'm I'm not up on my S.W.O.R.D. stuff, although what I've seen has always been cool. And uh, they try to figure out what's going on, what do they sabotage, what information do they steal. And basically all they did was turn off the early warning of Buzzer as we see in full force for a full-page splash that is gorgeous, Thanos' uh, forces appearing en masse uh, over the skies of uh, presumably North America, but just uh, the, the Earth in general, as we are invaded. And Jerome Pena is becoming like one of my favorite artists uh, in, the, in the modern, you know, in this modern era. I mean... Everything he does is just spot on. I mean, John and I raved and raved about him on Uncanny X-Force. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, because of his style, he's not, uh, he, do, he can't do a continuous monthly book. But I think they used him effectively in Uncanny X-Force where he, he was on specific arcs. Uh, and the fact that this book fluctuates on the art between Jerome Pena and Dustin Weaver and again, it's it's the, the styles are are similar, and I think Weaver modified his style to be a little bit more like Opeña because I've seen Dustin Weaver again is another one of those guys too that that is becoming a, a very much a favorite of mine. He did some Star Wars stuff a few years back, which is the first uh, 
I think I think that's the first stuff that I really noticed him on, and he's he's kind of made the jump over to Marvel uh, recently. He's done a ton of covers, but well, again, and also just, Hickman Shield series, right? Right? Yeah that that was the first thing. Yes, you're absolutely right. That was the first thing he did. I think after he did the Star Wars stuff for uh, for Dark Horse, he made that jump over to do the Shield, the Hickman Shield series. Um, but these two guys are just awesome. I mean, this issue artistically is just fantastic. It's it's. I mean, I just, I, it's just incredibly gorgeous to look at and just very, just very well done from a storytelling perspective too. I mean, just, just the sequentials are, are awesome. That, that panel we get on that, uh, on that first page with Abigail Brand after she's planted that bomb on the window and just kind of has that smile on her face, uh, as she's looking at them through the window, I think it's just, just awesome. Yeah. It's, it's pretty great. We harp sometimes on multiple, artists on an issue and that can absolutely be terrible but if you're gonna do it this is the way to do it because honestly had i not known there were two different artists on this book i don't think i would have known like they're similar enough and because of the changes in location that they use to kind of mask the transitions it would have not stood out to me at all and if you're going to do it do it this way have two similar artists who either have modified their styles to look more like each other or something or even just two similar artists period do it that way. Do it with different locations. Um, it can be very disconcerting and distracting in a book, but it's not here, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like the uh, – and when we get to it, it, uh, it looks like the gauntlet stuff is definitely uh, uh, Weaver. And then the beginning and the end of the book is uh, – you know, the Avengers the, – the sword stuff and the Avengers proper stuff looks like it's Opeña. Right. But it's just – I mean, and of course, Opeña started off the Avengers arc – you know, he did what the first three issues, I think, was Opeña, and all those covers were Dustin Weaver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we get a quick recap of a couple of pages of what has happened in New Avengers and Avengers. Uh, of course, the Jean Grey School fell. Uh, Atlantis fell. Doctor Strange. He was uh, well to quote them, and in the Sanctum Santorum, the Ebony Maw won a strategic war whispering sweet words of betrayal to Earth's Sorcerer Supreme, so what that exactly entails, we don't know yet. But uh, Wakanda won, New York won, or at least uh, Manhattan won, and Adelan, being right over New York City, they are also fine, but they are awaiting an emissary of Thanos, which is what we get at the beginning of the issue, as Corvus Glaive, a couple Outriders, and a couple other underlings come to Black Bolt's court to demand tribute, and it is awesome. Yes. Those Outriders are crazy. Yeah, they're kind of Predator meets Alien meets yes. comic book awesome. It's the no eyes, that, that kind yes. of um, uh, Guillermo del Toro eyeless monster thing yes. that really sells it. Yes. And of course, as any well-written scene with Maximus and Black Bolt and Medusa is going to be, the writing is very regal and very, uh, very stately. And then you have Corvus Glaive come in and basically go, yeah, I don't care about any of your nonsense. We don't care about death. A, you can't kill me. These other guys, hey, uh, do your thing. They all, you know, a bunch of them slit their own throats. They don't care about death either. We're going to get what we want. So you might as well just cut the crap and give me the tribute because uh, I'm going to get it one way or the other. Yeah, I love how he he basically says you can't threaten someone with what they want. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that was awesome. It's like you can't you can't bargain with somebody that's willing to 
uh, on command happily slit their own throat and bleed out on your on your floor. What uh, what did you think of Medusa's uh, outfit? It's very nightgowny. It's kind of like her classic outfit mixed with uh, translucent lace in a way that's like sexual, but not. Um, this is one of the things that kind of put me off. Uh, if I if I have to give a negative to the art, it's almost like it was done. Almost like she had no clothes on, and it was like an afterthought that they colored that in. You know what I'm saying? It's like it it feels disjointed. The texturing, and maybe maybe they were maybe uh, Ponsor did the the the, the colors. Maybe um, you know he was just too reliant on. Photoshop patterns or, or well, they have something. used the same costume in New Avengers previously, and it's looked very similar. Yeah, I don't. Then maybe it's just style. But yeah, the, I I remember when I read this late last week, I was just like, this is just something that looks off with this. It just looks like again, like it was put on after the fact, like it wasn't intended to look like that. But uh, it, it reminds me of like those John Connor of Mars, like Warlord of Mars. Uh, pinup girl posters that you'd have, except instead of wearing oh, like the nothing, Deja Thoris. yeah, instead of wearing nothing, she's completely covered almost head to toe, and yet it's still almost as revealing. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah, very much so. Like if they if this book was done in the Marvel Essentials format, it would look like she was naked. Yeah. <laughs> but so Corvus Glaive tells them what the tribute Thanos requires is. He says the tribute is a show of acquiescence. Thanos demands an offering of all inhumans between the standard ages of 16 and 22. And when Medusa asks, and what do they have to offer? Corvus Glaive says only their heads, which lines up with what we saw in uh, the free comic book day, infinity issue and infinity number one on the Al Agulo, if I remember correctly, where uh, they got an offering of the heads of all the children from, uh, or at least for the ones from 16 to 22, of that particular planet. So it seems, at least at this point in the issue, Thanos is pretty much going around murdering a lot of children, and like Thanos, or like uh, Maximus points out, it's like Herod with the Christ in the human holy books, which he's much more correct about than he realizes at that point. Yeah. And just that look from Black Bolt as he, as he sits there and stares back at... Um, at Corvus Glaive, we just get that that bottom panel um, with just that look on his face, and it it's almost like in the movies, you know how they they do that, or even on TV shows where they do that trick where uh, the lighting is is just on the eye line, and everything else is kind of like darkened or like in shadow. Right, right, uh, yeah. And I love <laughs> Corvus's reply to when Maximus says it's like Herod with the Christ in the human holy books, and he goes, "No." Like Thanos of Titan in the now. You yeah, have I love one day that to decide your people may die a little or die a lot. The choice is yours. Uh, yeah. Uh, new favorite bad guy. <laughs> yeah, and I love that line. Yeah, no, like Thanos of Titan in the now. Yeah, awesome yeah. line. It's a, And it's Hickman does it so well, and it works particularly well with, uh, with um, the Inhumans, but that kind of poetic prose, very stately... Yes. Writing. And, it, it, you know, for some characters, I can see why it bothers people. It does not bother me at all. But for Black Bolt and the Royal and Human Court in particular, almost no one could write that better. That's just, it's so perfect to what they should sound like. 
Yes, I agree. So we then journey off into deep space where the builders have shown up and uh, we kind of jump ahead to past that battle of the corridor. We don't find out what happens to the Avengers who were left behind in that issue. We'll find out in uh, issue 19 of Avengers. Um, instead, we just catch up with the ones who got away as they, uh, they make it to the rendezvous point and they kind of are, are picking at their wounds and deciding what they're going to do next. They're on board one of the Shi'ar ships when all of a sudden they have incoming vessels, and it kind of gave me flavors of that, um, uh, the BSG episode 33 or 33 minutes, whatever it was called. Oh, yes. Where they yes, got to jump like every 30 minutes to stay ahead. But instead, Gladiator is, uh, Gladiator is made of uh, maybe stronger stuff than, uh, than an Admiral Adama or a Colonel Ty. And he says, We're not jumping anywhere. That's what they want us to do. They want to wear <laughs> us down. We're going to stand right here and fight. If we die, we die. But I'm not going to get beaten again today. And uh, he gives one of uh, you know your classic uh, Independence Day style speech. Everybody yes. responds well, and uh, I love Smasher's line after after he does this whole big speech. You know, Gladiator does. Smasher turns over to to, to Hulk and says, you "Hear that, Hulk? I think he said get angry." Yeah, and I love I, just as an aside too um, what Wade. And Leno, you did in the in the new the newest Hulk series, where Banner wears that armor that that Tony Stark style armor, um, where, as he's Banner, and it kind of exp- and it fits very the pieces all fit together perfectly, and it's and it's almost like its own little suit of armor. And then when he hulks out, it like the pieces expand out, um, and so it's it's very much like Hulk armor, and I I just love that. You look, you know, it's like beyond the purple pants thing. You know, we're not doing the purple pants. He's wearing this armor that kind of expands and contracts based on whether he's hulked out or not. And it um, kind of gives just, him I, that planet Hulk look a little bit. Yes, yes. Which, which is nice. Like, and they found a way to work it in organically. Yes. But I will say, those helmets are horrid. <laughs> um, Luckily, not everyone's wearing them. Oh, my God. It, well, it's funny. They show that one panel with uh, where Spider-Woman has it on, and then the next panel she has it off. Um, but it's just it, it's just a horrible design. That's the only thing I don't like. I, I'm I'm fine with the armor around you know the arms and and kind of like the harness and stuff. But just that whole helmet piece just looks funky. It's a little much. What what did you think of uh, Smasher's line early in the issue where she thinks where she says I think I'm falling in love with someone, and even Cap goes Yeah, that's some kind uh, some timing, kiddo. Is she falling in love with uh, Gladiator? Is that something we're going to be dealing with soon enough? Uh. Or is she talking about someone completely different? I don't know. I. It was kind of a strange one-off. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, I. I just. I don't know. I mean, um, after that speech, I'd be in love with him too. But this was before the speech, so. Yeah, I. I wasn't sure if they were do going that route, or if they were going the Oracle route, and they were going to try and go a little, uh, uh, a little progressive, maybe. Oh, possibly. Um, I'm not really sure. Could be interesting, whichever way they take that. But so they have this massive battle and Gladiator goes uh, Black uh, Black Panther style and knocks everyone down, just like uh, Black Panther and Black Panther uh, won the day in Wakanda. Uh, Gladiator, the, the Shi'ar, and the Avengers managed to take down a large group of the Builders, but the Builders decide uh, they're not going to take that. And by the way, the art in these battle scenes is gorgeous. Smasher, like, smashing through 
the head of either a builder or an Aleph and the other, you know, team members taking people down is awesome. Yeah. I mean, we get that scene of the Hulk. It looks like he's smashing through one of the ships. It's almost reminiscent of that scene from uh, the Avengers movie when Hulk kind of got, when the, when the plane blew up and he kind of got flung off. Um, But yeah, the, the, uh, we get that shot of gladiator with the head, you know, he's just holding that head that he's ripped off up. Um, but just all this, I mean, talk about an awesome display of power. I mean, you have Thor, Hyperion, Gladiator, and a Hulk. I mean, you know, talk about an unstoppable force. Uh, and I thought it was interesting what they did with, uh, with, with, um, Falcon, where he's got kind of this, uh, you know, self prepared, you know, he's got like rocket boots or whatever and kind of has that that uh, bird-shaped helmet on so he could breathe and function in space. Uh, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, approach with, with him, with his character. Yeah, it's neat. And, and you've got the, the battle with the uh, overlay of, I forget what the two characters' names are, but they're speaking to Ex Nihilo because Ex Nihilo is kind of sitting the battle out, mostly because the Avengers are still a little unsure of like, how is he going to take fighting his own people? So this, this is whoever, one of the Shi'ar guys or Kree talking to, uh, to Ex Nihilo, but he says, I heard you say that you held our race in your hand and gave us the little push necessary to be some, something so much more. Well, look at what we have become. You may have been, you may have been as gods to us once, but we no longer want or need you. We have new gods now. And that's where you get that panel of Gladiator holding a builder head, um, decapitated above him as uh, you see the fists of the other Shi'ar being raised into the air. Yes. Yeah. Just that perspective shot like that. It's awesome. Yes. And then Ex Nihilo points and says, uh, we got a problem. You have an Aleph and a Ex Nihili, as they were referring to him, or Ex Nihili, basically just any Ex Nihilo who's not Ex Nihilo, uh, yeah. being sent down to the planet, pretty much the only ones who are left from the builder side of the battle. And it's the planet they were fighting to save. And uh, the ex Nihilo, who is, again, not our ex Nihilo, but uh, one who's still on the builder side, he basically activates and he turns from gold with a black um, Omega symbol on his chest to fully black with a glowing yellow, almost white ex, uh, Omega symbol on his chest. And he becomes a living bomb, essentially. He just spreads decay and disease over the entire planet, almost like if you played Mass Effect, the... Um, Oh, I forget what it was called now, but the, the, the basically the genophage, um, as he just basically destroys everything that's on the planet slowly. It's almost like the opposite of the are the engineers from Prometheus, right? You know, they they put the black yeah. out there, but that but that was to give life, and he's doing this to t- to take life. Yeah, very much so, and that fits with the the themes of uh, Prometheus as well. Sure, sure. At least the ones that made any sense. And then we get <sighs> another great. Uh, this happens a number of times throughout Hickman's work, but also a number of times in this issue, the almost voiceover kind of the, the end of the episode voiceover that you might get in a movie or a TV show or something where you have the Avengers flying around, saving as many people from this planet as you can. Um, but you get this great quote of in the hours that followed, the horror that had been unleashed became apparent. We knew that the builders could erase a world from existence. Killing a planet seemed the worst they could do. But in defeat, the Builders did something much more sinister. Starting at the death point of the ex Nihili suicide, an ever-extending sphere of decay expanded across the world. 
It was a shadow's slow crawl of despair that stole the future of a people. It was sickness. It was spoil. It was decay. Hundreds of thousands of refugees watched as the ones left behind became seething vessels of death and disease. This was worse than death. It was our first victory. What an amazing end to that <laughs> that quote. I, it was our first yes. victory and how terrible it was. Yeah, that that's, yeah. Talk about crafty writing. Just for him to go through and give this terrible account and say, oh yeah, by the way, we actually won this one. <laughs> yeah, that's how good it was. Yeah. And then for, for the epilogue of the issue, Black Bolt, as we saw at the end of Aven- uh, New Avengers number nine, has called the Illuminati to Adelan to discuss what they're going to do. Um, and now we see what the aftermath of that, that is. In New Avengers recently, we had seen that Maximus has building, been building several things. One of them was a portal to an alternate dimension that basically has no pitch. So Black Bolt can speak freely without destroying everyone. So that is what they're using as their meeting room. But here, Black Bolt... Uh, gives a basically a thumb drive to the Illuminati, which is the the history and secrets of the Illuminati, most likely because he thinks that the Illum- or not the Illuminati of the Inhumans, because he does not think they're going to last much longer. And uh, as we as we see him telling them this, we see that Maximus is hiding up above on some rocks, listening in on the whole conversation. So what that means yet, we don't know. But uh, I don't think Maximus is supposed to be there. Probably nothing good. And, you know, Maximus is very duplicitous, so the fact that he's actually listening in on something he shouldn't be is probably going to backfire on some or all of them fairly soon. My question is, does Black Bolt know he's there? I don't because think so. Because I could write, read it either way, and neither way would bother me. Like, each one I feel like kind of works, but we just don't know yet. I, Black Bolt by now must know, like, how duplicitous Maximus is. Well, and he had, you know, Maximus build this room and all these other, you know, like, Terrigen mist bombs or whatever they're building. Like, right. Like, he's let Maximus in on a bunch of stuff that I was surprised at so far. Because he has to. He's got no other choice. Maximus is the tinker right. that he's got. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, so he, he calls them there. He gives them the, the, basically the thumb drive, the records, the hidden archives of Inhuman Kings and Queens. In there, you will find what Thanos is looking for. The tribute is a lie, a convenient one that Thanos is telling to cover up the truth. The one Thanos has come to Earth to kill, his son. Crazy. <laughs> and so very much making Maximus's whole Herod uh, analogy very, very accurate. Because, of course, Herod was, in theory, actually going to kill Jesus. He wasn't trying to kill anyone else. He didn't really care about anybody else. And it's funny, too, because if you've read Thanos Rising recently, one of the big things in that story that happened was in order for him to appease death, one of the things she said was you have to, you know, be willing to kill that which you hold most most dear. And for a while, uh, Thanos was kind of a wild and crazy guy and was sowing his oats in every port that he came across. And so one of the things he had to do was go back through and kill all of his children, So, which he did. So I'm wondering if this is tying into that in such that he missed one, or... Well, he's missed more than one, though, because, like, Nebula's his daughter, isn't she? Uh... And Gamora's his adopted daughter. Right, Gamora's his adopted daughter. Yeah, that's true. And I guess that, that probably came after the fact. Oh, um, true, probably, because, yeah. Because all of that happened when he was very young. 
you know, it was, it was, it was before, you know, still way, way early on. So uh, like I said, I'm, I'm curious if they're tying it in, if they're, if they plan on tying it into that uh, recent Thanos rising story, or if this is just going to be, you know, just a, an offspring that came later. Now I've been, you know, following a lot of discussion online about this issue. And people are very divided on one specific thing. I mean, there's other things people discuss Tony as well. Tony Stark's armor? <laughs> no, nobody is dis- no, dis- divided. Everyone hates it. But um, does Thanos believe, does Black Bolt believe that the, the that Thanos' son is with the Inhumans? Or is Thanos just happening to go to Adelan first and he, he doesn't know where this kid is, but he's going through the whole galaxy, killing everyone of that age range because... He'll get the kid one way or another. Yeah, I'm guessing the latter. It's it's hard. You know, it's funny before this revelation. What what I kind of thought of that was the whole like kill the offspring so they can't take revenge, right. so they don't grow up with revenge, right? So they, you know, you kill anybody that would have any, you know, forehand knowledge of you know their 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 parents or their aunt or their grandparents or whatever being you know defeated or slaughtered or or whatnot um but yeah and if that's the case then that puts an interesting spin on it because that means that um that this offspring is between 16 and 22 which like i said really makes it it, i don't know because it seems like thanos is specifically coming to earth for for like he knows his, his apparently he knows his son is here because he made that point in the beginning, right? Like I will lead them away from Earth so that I could come. So, right, but he also did this on Al Alglo, Al Alglo, or how you say that as well. Like we have precedence of him doing this on another planet. Maybe there's more than one. Maybe that's, that's why true. he did did that. On, you know, he's systematically repeating what he did in his youth, like. <laughs> Um, you know, killing all his children round two. <laughs> That's quite possible. Now, let's, uh, I mean, let's assume for a moment that his kid is on Earth, but is not one of the Inhumans. I mean, it, it seems like it is one of the Inhumans, but we don't know for sure. Do you think this is going to be somebody new, or do you think this is going to be somebody Hickman has already set up? Like, is it possible that Starbrand is also Thanos' Thanos's son? Um, That's a good possibility i don't i i'm leaning towards it not being an inhuman um and it being somebody on earth proper which would make sense if it was starbrand right and for some reason the inhumans know who it is i mean that much is made clear and that's apparently known for some time but Thanos does not seem to know exactly who it is. What about Smasher? Do we know her exact age? Uh, I mean, you've got Bobby, you've got uh, Sam. I mean, they they could be under twenty two. I mean, it'd be pushing it a little bit at this point. But um, I'm just trying to th- like. It just seems to me that it wouldn't be Hickman's style to pull a character out of nowhere and go, "It's him or her." Right. Um, but I mean, it could happen. But I just feel like the way he writes. You know, the, whatever character just showed up in like Fantastic Four issue number, you know, his second issue of Fantastic Four all the way back in the day or something. You know, now that it's interesting, you bring up Cannonball because he, he I would was say the whole external thing, right? Right. That in that, yeah. I mean, the first thing I was just say was no because he's a part of the whole Guthrie clan and 
you know, they're 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 a tight knit family and all that. But he went through that whole external phase, which made him immortal, which seemed kind of secondary to the whole mutant thing. Um, they've kind of abandoned that, but it's it, I wouldn't put it past Hickman to drag something up from the very from from the past um, and make it current and and bring meaning to it. Um, so so while I would normally just dismiss that outright, um, I don't think necessarily we could do that. I, I, Starbrand would be interesting because that would make sense, like why he was picked. Um, you know, because maybe something in his genetic makeup would make him able to um, withstand, you know, the the the, the coming of the actual Starbrand. Um, and as far as Smasher goes. I feel like um, we were told her specific age at one point. Uh, I could bring she, up that issue, but I don't remember off the top of my head. She was she was supposed to go, wasn't it? She was going off to college, and she decided to come back to the farm instead of finish school because her grandfather was real sick, and the father, the grandfather and the father were fighting all the time. And the grandfather was, or, or either her grandfather or her father was Dan Dare, right? Like it's alluded to, which that's a big time space character. The grandfather, because he had that note from Captain America that says, you know, Dan, if you ever need anything, call me Steve. Right. And uh, and on the back, it had the Avengers logo. Yeah. Um, so, may, I mean, yeah, we don't know who the mother is, and we assume... Like, it might uh, not actually be her grandfather, or it could be the mother's father. Well, yeah, no, it, it definitely seems like it's the father... It, it's like father and son, the way they're bickering. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think they're they're in laws. So it could be, yeah. It's it's hard to it's hard to say. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I don't I don't know that they would just um, pull somebody that we haven't that ha- hasn't been a part of the story so far, or that we haven't seen. Like it would make sense if it was, um, if it was somebody that that we've seen firsthand and also maybe play into credence too with the star brand how maybe unintentionally tony you know they're on that that outpost or whatever the uh uh near the sun that whole uh what do they call that solar array or whatever whatever that thing is oh uh saul's hammer yeah something like that yeah on the one on earth is saul's anvil i think and the one on the, the actual sun is saul's hammer it's a dyson sphere yeah he's oh yeah that, that's the other term yes yeah 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 so it ought to be interesting yeah to see who that is and i, I have a feeling that we're going to find that out pretty quick like i don't think that's something they're going to drag out um you know and make like a big deal out of and say issue five or issue six i, I think we're going to find this out pretty quick yeah, it's moving so fast, it's hard to say. Like, yeah. you know, every issue is like major, major things are happening. This is like season 5B of Breaking Bad. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's moving pretty fast. Uh, yeah, I'm flipping through the Smasher issues. So far, I haven't come across an age. Um, there is a reference to her coming home from school, but that just seemed to be having to been something that happened earlier. Yeah. I would guess probably mid-twenties. Yeah, so I mean, like, she might be just slightly too old. I don't know. Yeah. 
But uh, so that's it for Infinity Number Two. We did have one news thing I wanted to bring up real quick. Uh, as listeners will know, we're currently in the middle of Marvel Now, which was Marvel's initiative, which relaunched uh, Avengers and most other titles uh, with you know Hickman's Number One, of course. Uh, they just announced today, as we record this. Uh, that all-new Marvel Now will be coming in 2014, and I guess the end of 2013 as well. But uh, Avengers, their first post-Infinity storyline, will be Avengers 24 point now. And I don't know if that will be after 24, like it'll be 24 and then 24 point now, or just 23 and then 24 point now. Um, it will have a number one on the cover, just to signify that it's number one in a new storyline. Uh, the art will be by Isad Ribic, which uh, is gorgeous. Uh, the cover that they have put out there for number 24 point now is amazing uh, with the Avengers yes. there in, in full Isad Ribic painted glory. Excuse me. Um, but that, that'll come out in December, and then 2014 will be kind of the, the launch proper of all new Avengers, or all, all new Marvel Now with uh, Inhuman number one from Matt Fraction and Joe Mad. Uh, all new Invaders, another one they announced from James Robis Robinson and Steve Pugh. Uh, a lot of cool looking stuff. Yeah, and what's interesting, and they haven't elaborated on this too much, but apparently they're coming with Marvel digital catch up codes. Some um, of them will be. I think Thor yeah. is one, Hawkeye maybe another. Uh, I'm looking, I saw a list earlier, but I'm trying to find it. And I'm not sure exactly what that means. I, I don't, I wasn't sure at first if it was going to be a special digital issue that gives you the big story beats of the previous arc or the previous few issues, or if it was literally going to be, Hey, buy this three ninety nine book and we'll give you the previous three or four issues, digital codes for the previous three or four issues. According to Marvel, select point now issues will include a digital download code for quote, the entire first collection of the series. That to me would say, it's probably like the first, like a, a code for a bundle of the first trade on Comixology or something, which is pretty cool. That I I think that's great. That, that's a huge selling point. I could easily see these books. I mean, for me, I I mean, I, as a as a as moving to a big digital guy, um, for any of these books that I don't have the the preponderance of those issues, I can easily see myself picking this one of these books up just for that reason. Now. For the most part, due to the you know big Marvel number one seven hundred giveaway, and then they've done a couple like number one and two catch ups, and then recently they did like a the first three issues of of the recent Avengers issue for ninety nine cents. So I picked up so some of these I have already, but if it's if it's like five or six issues, then uh, then definitely I could see myself uh, picking up for that reason alone. Yeah, like I, I can see myself. I think I, I on the article I have open right now, it does not have any issues listed as to which series would have that. One of the other ones I I saw definitely mentioned Thor, which stuck out to me because Thor is, as we discussed before uh, we started recording, I have not read any of the current Thor run, but I oh, hear man. nothing but great things. And if I could buy awesome. issue, you know, fourteen or whatever, and get the first six issues free, absolutely I'll do that. Even if I end up not liking it, which I, I like I said, the word has been nothing but good from you and everybody else. So I can't imagine that I would hate it, but that's a great deal. Or if nothing else, if you're interested in the issue and you have the digitals, give the code away. You know, give it to somebody. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you know, I could see myself like for the book that would come with Hawkeye because I have the first, I think six or eight issues of that. They they did a, a Hawkeye digital sale for ninety nine cents, but I'd get that and just give you know give the digital code to somebody that 
that's interested in in reading it because it's you know it's just it's too good not to right no absolutely so I think that's just about it we have to discuss for tonight unless you have anything to add sir no so I guess next time we do this it'll be um, I guess Avengers 19, New Avengers 10, and probably Infinity number 3 at that point. Yeah, and we've also got more Hickman stuff coming up. Uh, we're going to be doing a uh, several-part series on Fantastic Four and FF from Jonathan Hickman. Uh, just in case you thought we weren't talking about Jonathan Hickman quite enough. Sorry, just what timing kind of happened uh, to coalesce there for us. But uh, Jim is going to be point man on that. He's setting up everything now. And uh, I'm super excited because I reread that very recently and... Oh, it's so good, man. That last issue still makes me cry. So many awesome moments. Anybody who's never read it, if you can read it before the episode comes out, please check out the the beginnings of Fantastic Four and FF from Jonathan Hickman, starting with uh, Dark Reign Fantastic Four. But uh, if you can't, still check them out, because just to hear some of the stuff that happens in these issues, so good. And I think we should probably have a BS episode coming out here, probably... Uh, shortly after this episode goes up, I would I would guess to talk about probably the everything else but Infinity. I mean, I'm sure Jim will be on there. <laughs> so we'll a five minute him, long episode. Yeah, we'll ha- we'll give him an opportunity to kind of weigh in on it. But I've been reading a lot of other stuff. I've been catching up on a lot of uh, books, so I'll be excited to kind of talk about those. Talk uh, talk about those mainly uh, Superior Spider Man. I've been catching up on. I've been catching up on some more of my Star Wars reading uh, and just some other stuff that I've picked up on Comicsology sales that I think. Uh, I think we'll we'll talk about it. I'm going to try not to uh, rehash old material and uh, bag on DC like we have the last couple episodes. Um, although they've they've done it yet again, <laughs> where they've kind of uh, uh, brought forth the ire of many a fanboy and uh, and social activist. So I'm sure we'll have plenty yeah. to say about that. I will I will say no more. Yeah, it's, uh, they they pulled a bit of a Microsoft uh, Xbox One announcements uh, on themselves, and uh, yeah, I'm yeah. Sh- I'm sure there'll be a lot to say on on interesting on both sides because when you actually pull the issue apart, it's uh, it's there's more going on than it looks like in the beginning, where it just looks like a terrible social tragedy, which it is, but there's more going on there, and uh, we can get into it I, then. I agree. So, if you'd like to tell us anything about your thoughts on Infinity or any other books that are coming out, uh, Hickman's Fantastic Four and FF. Uh, What's going on over at DC? What's going on over at Marvel? Anything under the sun? Send us a voicemail, 516-468-7912. That's 516-468-7912. Or you can send us an email at our brand new Longbox of Doom email address, which is LOD at hhwlod.com lod at hhwlod.com you can send us your thoughts in the written form through email or you can always record an mp3 of yourself and send us a faux voicemail that way hey it's always fine we don't care what form it comes in we just love to hear your feedback check out half hour wasted on mondays at hhwlod.com check out walkingdeadtv.com for our walking dead tv podcast which will be gearing up in major form very soon as uh, the show comes back on the air out Now with Aaron and Abe is our weekly new release movie show. We've got The Black Box. We've got Jersey Shore. We've got a ton of stuff. You can find it all at hhwled.com. There's Facebook groups for just about all the shows. And you can follow us on Twitter at LODTweet and at HHWLOD underscore network. <gasps> Have a good week, everybody. So long. <laughs>